Customer experience. It's what sets some of the best companies apart from the rest, yet it can often be hard to achieve. Tune in monthly as we uncover the secrets behind great customer experience. This is Experience Better, the CX Podcast. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Experience Better, the CX Podcast. I'm your host, Alfred Sawatsky, Director of Product Management at Kubra. Just a note about our recording today. At the time of recording, we're in the midst of a global response to the coronavirus pandemic. And since we're all doing proactive social distancing, none of us are in the studio and we're all recording from our various uh, homes or offices. So the sound quality might not be as good as what you're used to in other episodes. I apologize for the lower audio quality, but uh, let's do this thing. Let's get to the show. The utility industry has changed tremendously over the past 20 years, and the utility customer has changed along with it. How can utilities keep up with the times? We asked a market research and CX expert to discuss how design thinking, customer empathy, and disruption play a key role. Bill LeBlanc is the chief instigation agent at eSource and president of the Boulder Energy Group. With more than 20 years of experience in strategic marketing, product development, pricing, market research, and demand side management, he focuses on helping utilities understand the intersection between the customer and the utilities products and services, as well as maximizing market effectiveness. For those of you who don't work in the utility industry, don't worry. The insights Bill is sharing today are valuable across the board. Having said that, then, well, thanks for chatting with us today, Bill. All right. Thanks, Alfred. Absolutely happy to be here. Excellent. Welcome. Um, so you are the Chief Instigation Officer at eSource. So first, can you say a little bit about who eSource is? Yeah, eSource has been around for about 30 years. We're in Boulder, Colorado, and our job is to help uh, utilities around North America understand and serve their customers better, whether they be residential or low-income customers or their business and, and key accounts. And we do a lot of market research. We do a lot of technology assessment. We do best practices. But our, our core mission is to really help utilities understand their customers better so they can serve them better and to get the utilities ready for whatever the next thing is coming around the corner. All right. So given your background in the energy and utility industry, how have you seen the utility industry change in the 21st century? Oh, that's that's a great question. It, it's got two sides to it. It's There's a lot of ways that it has changed, and there's a lot of ways that it hasn't changed, and uh, both opportunity and problems there. So what have we seen, you know, really the last 20 years? We've seen uh, social media take over the way that we communicate with our customers. So that's a huge one. We've had the advent of... Um, new metering systems where we can see 15-minute uh, intervals of use instead of a month of use. And that allows us to give much better and granular information to our customers, whether they be small or large. Um, we've seen an explosion of solar energy and the prices just dropping somewhere around 85% over the last 10 years, meaning that for the first time in history, people can buy their own 
little power plants for their house. And we're just seeing kind of the evolution of transportation moving into electric vehicles. Um, along with that, customer experience has had to keep up with the likes of, uh, you know, Amazon and Apple and all types of retailers who have set expectations much higher than they've been in the past. So the utilities have been kind of playing catch up with that side of things and they're doing quite well recently. At the same time, we've got this whole regime that's still kind of plodding along like it's still in the 20th century. So regulation is still mostly cost-based instead of performance-based, which is not great when you're trying to improve things like customer experience or trying to reduce carbon dioxide um, emissions. Rate design hasn't really kept up. Um, and so we have these little pockets where I think we can do a lot better so there's, there's the pros and cons of, of your question, but I think mostly we're moving forward. Uh, we need to keep up with the technology and we need to keep up with consumer desires. So yeah, so consumer desires, that reminds me of um, one, one thing that I've become aware of in the last year or so. So I'm involved with a, um, you know, a prepay product that, that Kubra is working on, but kind of looking at the market, there was... I think it's Georgia Power has pay by day. Mm -hmm. And if you get your mind around that, it's like you're not actually paying by kilowatt hour. So someone, I think, I, I don't know all the details, but I think the utility is taking the hit on, on volatility in the market, but they're saying the customer doesn't care about electricity. They care about, I don't know, heat. They care about running their, their appliances and, their, and the customer wants to pay by day. Mm -hmm. um so that that seems like a really like out there uh, like kind of innovative way of thinking um of course they're all monop i mean i think in that area they're monopolies they're not necessarily deregulated yet they're still focused on customer experience so why do you think customer experience is so important for utilities well you you want to be able to have conversation with all of your customers to do something beyond just delivering them basic service. In order to be able to be allowed to do that by your customers, they have to know you and trust you and like you. And so customer experience has the kind of the backdrop of the evolution of what utilities want to be in the future, which is a trusted advisor for all things energy, all energy solutions. There's no reason why the future utility can't be providing solar energy, can't provide, uh, can't be providing electric vehicles, can't be providing storage, um, enhancement and reliability and all of those elements. So you've got your basic blocking and tackling that you have to do just to get people back up and running when there's um, an outage or if there's a bill complaint, you've got to do that well. You don't have to do that with um, with a lot of extra energy. You just need to do it effectively. But when it comes to offering solutions beyond basic gas and electric service, you do need to have that customer relationship and customer experience is how you get that. I know when I listened to one of your um, presentations a couple of years ago, I made, made a couple notes and you were encouraging utilities to compete with themselves as some way of inoculating them, I think, against disruption. Can you say more about how utilities, maybe examples of, or bad examples of how they could compete with themselves uh, related to customer experience? 
you know, the way I, the way I look at this is that, um, you know, people don't think about their electric or gas utility on a day-to-day basis because they don't need to. The reliability is so extraordinarily high that we just take it for granted. If you can imagine, uh, um, you know, a millennial right now, would they ever call up the utility customer service department and say, hey, I just want to say thank you for having my power not go out today. And never going to happen. Never going to happen. But that's what we're used to in the United States. So because it's reliable and safe, because it's really relatively low cost, we tend to complain when it's not there. But while we've been delivering on that reliability, the rest of the world's you know, leading companies have been setting a really high bar for innovation and speed, and the utilities are stuck a little bit because of their monopoly situation. So it's, it's a lot about choice. So what we have to do is compete with our own selves since we're a monopoly. We have to pretend that we're a small competitive entity, and, and how might you do that? Um, you have to form new product groups. You have to form excellent market research uh, organizations. You have to know where consumer choice is. You have to get out in front of regulation or any of your policy advisors. And these are all things that are really tough to do when you've built a whole organization around reliability, safety, and low cost. But when what we have is a struggle is that Utilities have been very, very successful financially over the years. But then you look at other companies that have been disrupted that you never thought could be. So 15 years ago, you know, could anybody have imagined that Sears would be bankrupt? You know, absolutely gone. And remember, they were the catalog company. They were basically Amazon 100 years before Amazon was Amazon. Everybody had a catalog. You could order anything you wanted from any place in the United States, and they would send it to you in the mail, and you would get it. And so I don't know what they were talking about in their boardrooms as the Internet uh, commerce situation was rapidly changing, but they must have thought it wasn't serious. We like to talk about Blockbuster and how Netflix um, – move the market there. And you notice that Netflix actually cannibalized themselves. Remember their model, uh, DVDs in the mail. That was what they did for years and years and years. And they said, you know what? We're going to go streaming so we don't get disrupted from our own business line. And they did that very successfully. And then they had to decide, do we want to create content? And they have created content. Amazon has followed suit. So you see these kind of disruptions. And then you can look, look at this in different dimensions, too. For example, uh, hotels. They all have the same business model. Utilities all have the same business model. Taxis, all the same business model. You get in a car, you pay, there's a meter. Uh, hotels, you go to the front desk, you check in, you have a night. They clean the room. And then that leaves openings for entrepreneurs to come in. So Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, and even rental car companies like your own Zipcar. And so on the electricity side, we've left openings for organizations such as Acadia, who will sell an overlay of green power onto your existing bill. But they'll take over paying your bill, essentially. So you pay money to Acadia, and then they pay uh, you, they get a little money for that. In fact, the, the flat bill product you were talking about with Georgia Power is kind of a derivative pricing product as well, where you pay a fixed um, 
rate per month and that's a contract for a year, you know what every day is going to cost you. And at some level, Tesla is really kind of uh, interrupting the entire process that utilities have by offering solar power, storage, and your car. So keep an eye on Tesla and Elon Musk because whatever the change is going to be, he'll probably be the first one out there. Yeah, well, those are really good examples. I, I have to admit, when I first heard your um, the whole concept of um, needing to utilities needing to compete with themselves, like when I heard that like a couple of years ago, I was thinking. I mean, I thought that was I don't know I don't know if silly is the right word. I didn't understand. I didn't understand how to get my mind around that. How do you compete with yourself? But then, as I was thinking about it more, it's it's like someone's going to compete with me as a utility, and it's either. Someone else can can you know someone else can get the benefit of um, competing with me, or I can get the benefit of competing with me. And uh, your your Netflix example, I think, was helped uh, set that and make that more concrete in my mind. So um, yeah, I can definitely yeah see a place for that. Yeah, and and a lot of utilities do have very robust product development organizations, but remember that their test for whether something is going to be useful to do is is very high that they have to make a lot of money, whereas an entrepreneur can come in and start small. But if they're in the right place at the right time, their business can explode. And that's where the disruption typically happens. So I don't think Airbnb set out to be a global giant, but it turned out that um, their business model was uh, replicable pretty much anywhere in the world. And so those are the types of things you have to look out for. That sounds good. So let's say I'm a utility and I decide, okay, great, I'm sold on this. I want to start um, competing with myself or trying to, you know, figure out how to compete in this this new paradigm. Like, how do I, as a utility, gain relevance and brand strength in the minds of you know these new consumers? And despite mm-hmm. the fact that electricity is like hidden, it's like it's it's just hidden. Like, how 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 do, how do I build my brand there and make I gain relevance? No, that's that's a great question, and uh, this this is the customer experience challenge that we see, but it's also the product challenge, the solution challenge. So uh, if you think you're in the business of delivering kilowatt hours and therms, then you will continue to have that focus. But if you think you're in the business of providing consumer value and trying to maximize the value they get out of their entire energy world and provide them with the products and services and solutions that they need to run their businesses and run their lives better to increase comfort, increase productivity in industrial facilities. And if you can give them, you know, an experience that's well beyond just the basics. So not just providing that reliable service, but, but uh, creating an environment that they want to be in. You know, I do this man on the street um, interview every couple of years, and it's humorous because people don't know things. But um, what I call this power walking. So if you want to see it, you go to eSource, you look up power walking. But uh, one is that I was talking to a couple of young ladies, and they kind of came up with this uh, idea that they want to pay each day because it's convenient for them because they just pay on PayPal. But also, we talked to another woman who said, you know what I want my utility to do? I want them to do something epic. 
because then I will like them on Facebook. I'll post on Instagram about them. And I said, what's, what's epic to you? He says, well, things like 100% clean power, uh, that would be epic. And so that's why understanding your customers well and getting in front of them as opposed to opposing what they want is critical to this move to the kind of this 21st century model that we talked about. So 10 years ago, eight years ago, let's say, a lot of utilities were resistant to rooftop solar. What kind of customer message does that send? It turned out to be quite negative. I think we have a new opportunity with electric vehicles. If, if utilities can really embrace electric vehicles, I think they're going to accelerate market penetration much more than they would be otherwise. Because I don't see the car companies doing very much advertising for those cars, but the utilities have a lot to gain and their customers have even more to gain from adopting those new technologies. So is there any way, I mean, I mean, utilities, I mean, typically I imagine they're built or run by engineers and they, you know, there's one to be reliable and all that, but there's, I mean, I mean, obviously there's more than just engineers at, at utilities. Um, but just the whole thinking, like, is there a way, I don't know, for utilities to get hip or cool? I mean, I've heard you talk about social currency in the past. Yeah. Um, can you say more about how emotions, uh, you're giving examples from the, the, these power walks. I'm like, and that was, those are very emotional responses. Can you give some examples oh. there? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I'll, I'll talk about this in a couple different angles. But, um, you know, can, can utilities become something that they're inherently not today? And the answer is yes, but it's, it goes back. To, I have this picture of the left brain, right brain, where left brain is engineering and data and security and the right brain is creativity and such. And so, so it's really about finding individuals <clears throat> within your organization to work on things that used to be called skunk works, which is how, to, how do we create the new part of our company? But you can't, you can't make everybody creative. You don't want to make everybody creative. So um, let me let me share with you uh, kind of an interesting framework that um, that I studied through a book called Contagious: The Why Things Catch On. And and I'll spend a little bit of time on this because it's super interesting. So there's five elements that these folks discovered in their market research, as well as we can see this in in the power walking as well, that um, make difference in whether a new product or marketing campaign or customer experience becomes something that customers really love as opposed to just think are adequate. And so I'll, I'll name them and then I'll go through each one. So one is social currency. Another is triggers. Another element is emotion, empathy, so to speak. The other is, is it something I can see? Is there a social norm? And does it have practical value? <clears throat> so let me quickly go through these. So social currency ends up being super important with a lot of these different products. Um, it's it, in your group, does it give you status more or less? And if you think about Teslas today, that is a prestige buy. 
And if your neighbor has one, you're way, way more likely to also have one. We've seen that through data analysis. But um, we also saw that with rooftop solar. So someone in your neighborhood gets rooftop solar than the neighbors do. So that's the social, social element of it. And it gives you something like, are you the first one to have the iPhone 34 or whatever the number they're on now? Are you the first one to have the, that electric vehicle? Um, you know, in your neighborhood, it gives you social currency. I go back to a story where this is now 15 years ago, the Honda came out with a Civic Hybrid, high mileage car. Toyota came out with a new model called the Prius. And the Prius outsold the Honda Civic Hybrid, despite the fact that if you looked on a, on a fact sheet, a spec sheet, they would look exactly the same. What was different? Alfred, what was different between those two cars? Uh, the Toyota Prius had an uglier, well, a more distinctive look. I, it, we bought one. It had a flat back. Yeah. Well, you could call it beautiful or ugly, but it was distinctive <laughs> for sure. And the key there is it turned out that people didn't want a high-mileage car. They wanted a, they wanted a status symbol to drive around and a high-mileage car. They wanted to be seen as green in their neighborhood. So that is what's going on also with Teslas as well. It's just a prestige buy. So think think about um, going beyond what people say they want. It's really understanding deeply what their emotional wants and needs are. And that's what Toyota got right. And Prius is still one of the top selling cars for them. So then another element of this is... Um, you know, the, the social norm side of things. So uh, am I going to get behind? Am I, am I looking like the rest of uh, my cohort here? And so it's also something that we can utilize to help move our market. So for example, a lot of people around the United States are now getting letters that compare their energy use to their neighbors. Well, it turns out, despite the fact that that makes a few people angry, it does create a conservation effect because people don't want to be behind. And so this happens with a group mentality when they're adopting technology and so on. So you all, everybody has a friend that says, I'm, I'm never going to get a, quote, whatever it might be, smartphone. I'm never going to get this. And then a year later, they have one. Why? because they didn't want to be out of the norm. So we can take advantage of that from a customer experience standpoint. Um, the other element is, is this thing that I call um, triggering, which is when we, when we have an invisible product, which is electricity, which is gas, then how do you make that more evident? And this is a very hard thing to do, but that's where the frontline people and and at the utilities are so important to really understand what customers are asking when they call and say, my bill is too high and to get behind the why and have the empathy for those customers and why they're struggling. And so those are really key elements to what we're talking about. So social currency, social norms, triggering. Um, and I think I have, I, what else? Oh, the, and the emotional element of why people do the things that they do. So following up with that why or that empathy, so you have this organization, a utility, you don't typically think of organizations necessarily having emotions or empathy, just in general, but how mm -hmm. 
could how would you say they could be more empathetic how, how could they find out whether they should do a prius or a civic hybrid like, like as an example how would they decide that, figure that out well that's a big question but uh luckily we didn't have to invent the answer to that so um we we have been doing a lot of work uh, in the area which is called design thinking, and I'll explain what that is. Uh, design thinking is is basically an approach to solution development or problem solving that has its basis in empathy with the person that you're designing for, uh, and and. There's a whole research methodology, and I'll share some of that in a minute, um, to, to discover what these underlying needs are. And they're quite different than a lot of the research that most companies do that's, that's quantitative or even qualitative. Focus groups are not necessarily that good at, at uh, discovering empathy because they don't allow you to go deeply into a single person's wants and needs. I mean, social anthropology is basically the, the study of beings, uh, life, uh, by observation. And we have some techniques that we can kind of get to that observation through um, different types of formats by either doing individual interviews. We have smartphone approaches to uh, track what people are doing across a week or a month. But the key is to ask a lot of questions and listen a lot and gain that empathy and not throw solutions at people. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting approach uh, to solving um, different problems all over the spectrum. And we just are seeing this being used a lot more in the utility industry. Do you have any examples? Uh, so yes, examples. There, there's some really interesting ones, and uh, some of them are are just so familiar with us. So, for example, I love showing this picture of a rolling piece of luggage. So for 80 years, we lugged around our suitcases. They're too heavy. They hurt our backs. Yet we had wheels. They existed. They could have been put on the luggage, but no one bothered to stop and watch people struggle with the view that they were trying to solve this problem. I also love showing pictures of the, you know, the drinking fountains that now have a place to fill up your bottle. Again, for a hundred years, we had drinking fountains and we had bottles, but no one stopped and watched the frustration that people had in trying to fill their bottles up with that little stream of water going up and down. And it's just such an elegant solution. Any of us could have done that if we'd use kind of a design thinking technique and we need to adopt that much more effectively in uh, all parts of the utility, but in any customer-facing part of the organization can really help from this kind of what I call human-centered uh, design or, or design thinking. And it's, it's really about creating intentional designs instead of ones that are kind of um, uh, accidental, so to speak. Well, yeah, those are, those are great examples. Yeah, I mean, if you if you think about um, how utilities have developed their, let's say, their energy efficiency programs, they create a, a need from internal uh, resource uh, requirements. I need this many power plants. I need this many kilowatt hours. And then they build the programs and say, well, light bulbs are out there. We have to change out the light bulbs. But we don't take into account at the beginning whether the consumer wants to change out their light bulbs at all. 
And so what we like to tell people to do is to flip this on their head is that what you want to do is start with customer needs and you want to blend in those utility requirements and grid requirements later after you've discovered what they need. So you can go to the spots where there's likely to be uptake because, you know, these programs have ended up having to pay very, very high rebate levels in order to get people to adopt them, things like heat pumps, et cetera. But think, think about one of the most popular uh, utility programs, which is to control air conditioners during summer peaks. Now, think about the highest value moment of the year that the customer is utilizing that thing that they bought to make them cool on the hottest days. So I make fun of this because, hey, we're, we want to shut your air conditioning down, but only on the very hottest days of the year. That's a yeah. utility program. So, so how do we kind of flip that around? And, and uh, so one of the things that we like to talk about when we're talking about uh, gaining empathy is if, if you talk to regular mainstream customers, they often don't have a lot of interesting things to say because, again, it's in the background of your mind. In design thinking, we love to look at people on the ends of the spectrum, so the extremes of the bell curve, so uh, what we consider like an extreme user. So as an example, with uh, we did a lot of um, research with low-income customers recently. We found a woman who was just excellent at paying all of her bills on time. She didn't make more money than the other people we talked to, but she was organized. She had a priority straight. She knew what her finances were at all time. And she was complaining specifically about not knowing how big her utility bill was going to be. And in fact, we had a video of her, not a man on the street video, but a um, one of our design videos where she was opening up her bill right on camera and it was much higher than she thought it was going to be to the point where she was about ready to break down and cry because she was thinking about all the disruption in her life that that bill was going to cause. And so we took that as designers to say, how, how can we fix this problem for this woman? Because there's going to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who would also appreciate that solution. So those are the types of things you can find when you find an extreme user. On the other end of the spectrum, you might want to find a low-income low customer who is uh, unable to pay any of their bills despite the fact that they uh, have some money, but they don't know how to do it and they don't know how to get help. And so you want to find those people who are passionate and articulate in their positions. And so that's why we look for very specific personalities to do this uh, empathy-based research. Well, I think that's a great example and, and um, something that was enlightening for me was when you were just talking about, um, it was almost like anxiety-driven design. I mean, I've heard of like test-driven design and all sorts of other types of design contexts, but but if you definitely think about the anxiety you might be causing to your customer, I mean, that you can't, if, if you're taking that in good faith, you can't help but be empathetic and ask a lot of why questions. So that's a good, a good yeah. takeaway for me there. So, yeah, and, uh, and, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and just to see, to have videos of that ends up being really important because then you can share those experiences that the customers are having with everybody in the organization, including your, your upper management, 
who might be looking more for bottom line savings with, let's say, the call center, where you say, you know, there's bottom line savings when you look at these metrics. But if you look at other metrics, we could be doing better. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's like the true voice of the customer. I mean, to use a cliche, uh, but but seeing the videos can be very um, well, heart-wrenching depending yeah. on what kind of video it is. So we are at the end, but I was wondering if uh, you have any final thoughts for our listeners, um, anything you want to, like parting, parting wisdom, how, <laughs> how we can get in touch with you, you know, you know what, what that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I'm easy to get in touch with. You can uh, contact me at... Um, Bill underscore LeBlanc at esource.com or you go to the esource website and I'm sure there's there's a form to reach me. But a couple of couple of things that I think have been sticky with with our um, utility clients uh, based upon presentations that I've give, given. One is um, utilities all have safety moments and safety is a core um, kind of a, a core element of what utilities are all about. And I want to take away from that, but could you also add in an innovation moment to your meetings or an empathy moment to your meetings? Because that will automatically elevate those two two parts of um, customer service to the point where management starts to think, oh, these are as important as safety. Um, another thing that we talk about in design thinking a lot is to say yes and as opposed to no, we can't. So we hear a lot of we can't do this because. And so in design thinking, what we do is we frame things around how might we statements, very powerful three words, how might we, because it opens up the world to solutions as opposed to closing them. And then within meetings and within uh, your interactions with your cohorts at, at your job, we like to say yes and. Because there's always a kernel of things that are valuable in anything anybody says. So with, with those elements, we can start to see little bits of culture change that start to permeate within organizations. Well, that's a great, great way to end it, the yes and. Um, so I, Bill, I really appreciate you joining us here today. I appreciate the insights. I know this was a short, short segment here, but I know I've seen, um, people want to hear more about you. I mean, you go onto YouTube. I've heard, I've seen your, some of your talks there, your power walking. I've, um, you know, a couple other things around Boulder. So if Mm -hmm. people want to hear more, they can go on there. So thank you so much for joining us and, uh, hopefully we can uh, talk again sometime. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is always fun. Stay tuned for our next episode to find out how you can effectively market your customer experience solutions to your audience. That's all for Experience Better, the CX podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send us your questions and continue the conversation with us on Twitter or Facebook at KubraWay. That's K-U-B-R-A-W-A-Y or on LinkedIn at Kubra. Experience Better, the CX podcast is presented by Kubra. I'm your host, Alfred Sawatsky. Goodbye for now. I hope you experience better.